From Wakefield, it's the Nolan Car at Night Show. We're going to join Nolan's guest this week, Michael Andres, to the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Nolan. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the show. And I, I hope you've all been enjoying the episodes that have been out there. And this is another very big deal for myself. If, if you know me, you know the love I have for, for music, but specifically the Beach Boys music and an album that deserves to, to have all the accolades that has gotten over the last handful of years being Pacific Ocean Blue. And this man had a big role in that. He had a big role in other stuff within the Beach Boys, but also he has his his uh, reins and roots in musical production, orchestral stuff. He is a teacher of music. He is all the way in sunny Southern California. He is the one only Mr. Michael Andres. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing great, Nolan. Thanks for having me. Well, of course, as we said before we got going, you know, to be able to talk about some of this stuff and to be able to pick your mind of, of some of the stuff that you were involved with over the last bunch of years is, is a big treat for me. The, I want to ask you this, besides you you're instructing at, um, at students in, in music and composition, that sort of stuff for movies and television, how's life been for you recently during all these wild times? Well, it's been pretty interesting. Uh, you know, when COVID hit, we all thought it was just going to be, you know, couple of weeks, a couple sure. of months, we'll be fine, everything will be good. And and the whole world sort of changed. And uh it and now that we're beginning to come out of it, you know, it, it's we can look a little bit in retrospect and it's sort of uh it's uh it's humbling in some ways. Sure. So what happened at the time when COVID first hit, I was working uh with a production company based in Dubai in the oh, wow. United Arab Emirates. And uh, I was doing a lot of work for them and they were flying me over there and it was really pretty great and uh, it, it paid well. And then when when COVID hit, everything stopped. And in Dubai, unlike what they did here in the States and most other countries did, the government didn't step up and help any of the industry or anything that was uh, suffering because suddenly there's no, especially the entertainment industry there, uh, there wasn't any, you know, yeah. we were doing a lot of work in, in there's uh, all these great parks when we had just done uh, the installation in Warner Brothers World, which was this, I don't know, billion dollar indoor <laughs> amusement park. And we had done all the live entertainment for it. And everything just stopped. And the company I was working for just uh, went belly up. It was a big company uh, that had a big overhead. And so all that work stopped and, uh, and pretty much everything else stopped. And so it just became uh, the first part of the pandemic was spent, oh, I can finally get my life in order. You know, I sure. can find, I have tons of files and tons of samples and tons of everything. And I'm going to get them all in order. And, and uh, all the music that I've done over the years, I'm going to get in order and know where it all is. And that worked really well for about two or three months. And then, you know, other things sort of got in the way. And during that period, my daughter, who's a musical theater performer, and her husband, who also uh, decided why be in New York when COVID first hit, they figured they'd come out and hang with the parents for a couple of weeks <laughs> and enjoy sunny Southern California. Sure. And they ended up being here for almost two years, ended wow. up having a baby, I became a grandfather. Congratulations. And, uh, and so that's, you know, now we're coming out of it. I've been teaching at Duquesne now remotely, which is an interesting thing to do. It's all done over Zoom. And I teach uh, two courses there. One is uh, music composition for for uh, media and the other one is film scoring and it's working out very well we're really happy about with that sure well and even though you've been doing over zoom since this and you know you, you went overseas before the pandemic was really kind of 
uh, you know, throwing us all into a loop. The, the simple things of just packing your luggage to go fly somewhere to go to Dubai, I'm sure you got a greater appreciation for as as it got on. And then now stuff is starting to open up to be able to, to teach, whether it be remotely in person. You probably have a greater appreciation now that it's things are looking a little bit more positive, although it's it's still here and it's still not going away. Whether people want to do anything about it or not is another conversation for another day. Yeah, you know, it's it's coming back. It's coming back different. You know, and it's in in some ways it's coming back better. You know, we'll just see what happens yeah. as far as packing up and getting ready to go to Dubai after being on the road <laughs> with the Beach Boys and other bands for years. Packing up is never, you know, to go on the road is never that big a, an undertaking. Sure, but uh, but now it's there's no packing up going on. So sure. it's, now you got to make do with, with what we have now. As I mentioned in the intro, working with the Beach Boys and with Dennis and so on and so forth. And just saying with going overseas, although that had nothing to do really with the Beach Boys, they, they're now coming up on their 60th anniversary for, for them being around. And um, I, I want to sort of talk with their, you in terms of your introduction to them, not playing with them necessarily, but prior to going with them, when prior to going to school for music and then going on to have the career in music that you did, whether it be with them or not, what was your interaction with their music in terms of as a fan, but as possibly getting into it with them? Well, you know, it's really interesting because I was brought up, when I first started playing, I was going to be a, a classical musician. Right. I was going to start off in clarinet. Then I was going to, got into uh, to jazz, really liked jazz, took up saxophone and in and, and college started doing that. And I was into jazz a lot and not really into very much rock and roll. My younger right. sister was, you know, and I would listen to some of her stuff. And then... I heard a couple of Beatles tunes and I thought, wow, this is really, this is really different. And I had sort of not really paid attention to the Beach Boys before that uh, or to any sort of pop music because I was, you know, I was a jazzer. I was classical sure. music. I was really serious. Uh, and really got into the Beach Boys. Wasn't that aware of all the stuff that was going on. Uh, I really got into the Beatles and wasn't aware of everything with the Beach Boys that much until this is sort of an interesting story. Um, I was at a meditation retreat, a transcendental meditation, which, sure, you know, yeah. at one point, all the, all the Beatles and the Beach Boys had, were doing. And I met Mike Love, and I had heard that the, the Beach Boys were going to be going out on the road and that they might be needing a horn section. So I said, hey, Michael, you know, you guys need horns. And he said, well, talk to Carl. And so... Uh, when I got home from the thing, I called Carl at their studio in Santa Monica. And I literally called for, I think it was two or three months. <laughs> and, uh, and Patricia, who was there, there who managed their uh, studio down in LA, was really sweet. She said, no, keep calling. They're just busy or Carl's not here when it was. And after about three months, I called one day and she said, Patricia said, hold on. And Carl got on the phone and Carl said, hey, Michael, how you doing? I said, hi, Carl. And uh, he said, so you've got a good horn section? I said, yeah, well, I've got a really great horn section. He said, okay. <laughs> he said, you got it. Let's, let's see what happens. And so, and we were all up in San Francisco at the time. So we came down to LA and started rehearsing. And really the point where I really started getting into the Beach Boys music was at that point when I started listening to stuff I had never heard before. Sure. You know, I'd heard all the big tunes like, you know, Fun, Fun, Fun and, and Help Me Rhonda, sure. and, you know. But stuff like 
surfs up and, sure. and you know and there's and i just my jaw sort of hit the ground i was like sure. oh my god this is how could i have not realized what was going on here yeah. but it's easy you know you're brought up in southern california it's always around you of all course. the time and you just you don't pay that much attention to it yeah. um and if you're on the East Coast and it's in the winter and you listen to the Beach Boys, you start dreaming about that and you go, yeah, yeah that's that's really fantastic. And they really did capture it beautifully. And so I, I was sort of late to the banquet, you know, sure. and uh, at that point and then doing all the horn arrangements for the for this tour. And it was their 15 big ones. They just released 15 yeah. big ones and it was their reunion. Brian was back. Yeah. And. And they had been, I don't know if you know the story, and I don't want to go on too much about this, but they had been, you know, they had lost a lot of their fan base over the years sure. because they'd been around for 15 years, you know, bands get old and everything. And they were playing some smaller gigs. And then with this 15 big ones, they decided we're going to go do it again. And we went out on the road with a band that was 17 musicians, including the Beach Boys and all the backup bands. You know, this is a really big band and it was fantastic. All yeah. the players were excellent. And we did our first gig with that new band. I think it was at Anaheim Stadium. And I think it was July, might've been July 3rd, or July 4th. Uh, and it was sold out and it was just yeah. fantastic. And that was the start of their big comeback that sure. they did. And it just became several years of doing these giant venues and yeah. Central Park with, you know, three quarters of a million people there, <laughs> you know, a big free concert. It was great, you know? And so it, it was pretty heady years and pretty wonderful thing for me to be doing at that time of my life. And I owe them a lot because uh, I had been doing arranging and other things before that and, and composing. But with them, I got to do, I, I really sort of got my chops together. It's like, I, it became pretty easy for me. Sure. There would be times we'd say, oh, we're going to do this song when we get to uh, this next city. You know? sure. And I have a recording of the song and I could sit there and just write the horn parts. You wow. know? It just like became really, I was writing a lot and it became easy and it was fantastic. So I owe them a lot. You, you, you mentioned it with Surf's Up and that sort of and that, that sort of music where it was a, a different change from the early 60s stuff where it's sun, sun, sun and fun and all that stuff. And they take that giant twist pet sounds and Surf's Up and that music onwards kind of besides 15 big ones and maybe a few other ones still had that old stuff being from where you came from orchestral stuff and all that stuff. And I also, I played the saxophone for a quick second in, in middle school, but oh, cool. nothing, nothing to the extent of what you've been able to do. And I, I, I quit very early on, unfortunately, but um, with the path that you took with music, did that give you greater appreciation for being with them with the music that they were end up doing later on? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. When I, especially with, yeah, with Surf's Up and, and with that whole group of pet sounds and everything. When I started hearing what what was being done and where it was going, and uh, it was, you know, th this is something about about the, the boys and about their just innate ability. Sure. You know, it, it was, uh, this goes back to Dennis. Uh, I'd become pretty close to Dennis, and, and one of the, he would always have a, a piano brought up to his yeah. room where we were, you know. And one day he says, hey, Michael, come on, I want you to hear something. And he sat down at the piano and he started playing me this thing he was writing. And it was like, it, it was, 
it was almost like Shostakovich. You know, I mean, it was it was like the chord changes were these just no, it's more Wagnerian, really heavy, beautiful chord changes and everything. Yeah. And I was kind of Dennis, I said, you know, where where did you learn this? You know, yeah. he said, it's just there. You know, wow. it was that kind of thing. They've got that that beautiful gift. Yeah, they all had that beautiful gift, and. Um, so yeah, so my my appreciation of them really, really grew, uh, and when I realized the depth of their talent, and of course having the background that I had had, you know, classical training and jazz training, and by that time I'd played with a couple of rock bands, uh, it became uh, it became really obvious really soon, you know, sure. the guys that I was fortunate enough to be with. But you you mentioned joining around the time of 15 big ones and they had released a few albums after that and right before that being the LA Light album and then they had um and they had MIU album and albums of that nature where it's a really sort of different twist of 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 music that they're putting out there when you're playing with them or when you first play with them how much of a difficult period was it for you to switch from a fan of them to then a professional on stage with them because I'm sure when you're on there and you're maybe not taking it as serious, Carl's going to tell you that to hit the blocks. Yeah, you know, by the time I was with the Beach Boys, I had already performed a lot, you know, with a couple of other sure. bands, which especially up in the Bay Area where I was living at the time. And so I had done a lot of performing, you know, okay. in front of and, and performing with some pretty well known people. So it wasn't, it was, it was not. Oh my God, I'm on the stage with the Beach Boys. You know, it was yeah. not that feeling. It was like, oh my God, this band is great. Sure. <laughs> and this, and it sounds great. And you're yeah. sitting in front of, you know, I mean, I don't think that, that first tour that we ever played for less than 50 to 70,000 people, you know, in, a, in sure. a venue. And so it was really, excuse me, I get, we get spam phone calls all the time. Let me see if I can stop it from ringing. I will even unplug this phone, but I've got a, another phone in here that's going to ring if it happens. So apologies for that. No worries. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so we were talking about uh, about the fact that it was uh, it was just a, a joy being with the band, playing sure. playing with musicians who are that good. I mean, Charles Lloyd was in the yeah. band. And he he was back when I was a jazz player, I mean, he was like an idol. Charles, you know, he was a really famous jazz saxophone player. And there's Charles in the band and becoming friends with Charles and working on his albums with him. And um, Mark Isham was one of the trumpet players, the first trumpet players in the band, because I had known Mark from up in the Bay Area. He became a very well-known film scoring, television scoring guy. And um, there was this great horn section, great players, and some of those players are still really close friends, like sure. Bobby Figueroa and yeah. Arlie Munoz, and, and uh, you know, I love those guys. Yeah, Bobby's Bobby's the best. I had him on here a while ago, and I saw he was playing with Al recently over in the East and then in the Midwest and Southern California, but he's still rock and rolling. He's got his own group with some of the former guys as well. You mentioned earlier, and I, I want to ask you about this, your conversation with Carl, finally getting on the phone with him and him having you come out with you guys. And I've heard this from Bobby and uh, a guy, Chris Farmer, who played with the Beach Boys in the 90s and um, Gary Griffin, who played in the late yeah, 70s yeah. with them. And a few other guys who have told me stories of playing with Carl and the classic Carl Wilson stare that he would give to people. If you would play a wrong note, he'd look at you and then he'd look back. And then if it was a few more times, he'd 
you know, tell you to leave because you wouldn't be able to cut the mustard with them. Was there any moment where, and you've mentioned how talent, you, talented you were with writing com- compositions, but was there any moment with Carl where he sort of looked at you funny if, if when you played the wrong note the first time? No, no, we never had that problem, but we did have sort of an interesting thing. When I first did the horn arrangements for, for the boys, you know, I'm a horn player and I had added a lot of stuff, you know, that I thought would be cool, this would be cool, this would be cool. And so the first horn section rehearsal, Carl came in and we played through the, you know, the chart and he goes, yeah, too much. And he cut everything, he just cut it really, made it really sure. simple. And and that day was a really great lesson for me because, and he was cool about it. You know, he was, uh, Carl was, I loved Carl. He was a really nice guy. You know, he was sure. always really friendly. There would be times when I know you could see there was a lot of resp- he had a lot of responsibility yeah. and he would take it seriously and he would do that you know and, and if somebody was really messing up you know you'd get the carl stare you know <laughs> but but you know i mean we, we ended up going through all the things and i learned that day that when i'm going to do arrangements from the boards i'm going to keep them really simple sure and you know it made me respect what was going on more and uh, so it worked really well he was a great guy carl was a great guy the first concert you just said was, you know, either the 3rd or 4th of July, and they're known for their 4th of July concerts the early, in the 70s and in the 80s. And I don't know how much of the, the, the current itinerary, iteration of the band has done recently, but they're known to have hundreds of thousands of almost a million people there at the concerts. When you're joined the band for the first time, and I asked you about the turning the state, turning from a fan to professional, is how do you ignore that the number of people there instead of just worrying about the playing the music correctly well i'll use that first concert as an example um you know as a professional musician you're there to do the gig sure. you know and so it's really important you want it to sound good you want everybody to be you know and so your your attention a lot of your attention is on that once everything's moving along and and you know you can see that everybody's playing and, and you sort of get into you get into a groove you know everybody like it's songs get counted off you start playing everything sure. is sounding good you can start enjoying the crowd and with that particular concert uh, this is one of the things that i've had various people mention people who are there at this concert who remember it happening but at angel stadium which is in anaheim pretty close to disneyland um it was completely sold out and i think it holds i don't know what it held it's probably 30, 40,000 people. We looked up in the top bleachers, the very highest one, and we were doing, I think we were doing Fun, 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 or, or Help Me Rhonda. It's, it's one of the ending tunes or one of the sure. tunes at the end of the set, the encore tunes. And we could see the whole top lodge going up and down with people jumping <laughs> up and down. And we're like, oh my God, I hope it doesn't, I hope <laughs> it's built well enough it can handle it. Sure. Because actually this concrete's an iron structure, steel structure is sitting there moving with, you know, <laughs> several thousand people jumping up and down in rhythm. Yeah. Fortunately, everybody was fine. But um, yeah, it, there are times it can be distracting, but it's like you, you're doing your gig. You know I mean? Sure. It's, and, and when you've done it enough, it's, you don't think about it. I don't think anybody ever had, you know, like uh, performance anxiety, you know, sure. going up there. Maybe when Brian first came back, we were concerned because Brian still, you know, was not completely back yet, you know, sure. his first concerts. Um, but he's done fantastically. Yeah. And he's another amazing 
human being. So, and now he's going out with Chicago this time. And I, I think, you know, if, if my history and my mathematics skills is correct, and I'm no mathematician, I think this is the first time the, the group is going out or he's going out to Chicago because I know they went out in the eighties and he wasn't there. I, I want to ask you this also, you, you mentioned, uh, Dennis composing that or putting together that song on the piano that he brought into his house and how unbelievable that was around that time, the, the mid to late seventies. And he had tried to do some of it in the early seventies, but nothing formulated till they released the recent box set. But in the mid to late seventies, he's starting to put together his solo album, Pacific ocean blue, which would, which would have been followed up with bamboo before the 08 re-release. During that process, how aware were you of him putting together? Because I know you you were on that record and you helped w- w- with that process. Yeah. Um, so I I didn't know at, at that point when, when I first started doing an arrangement for him, I didn't know uh, how long he had been at it. Sure. You know, I mean, or, or what process it was in. You know, where they were in the process. Um, he played me a couple of the tunes, you know, the rough versions of the tunes and, you know, uh, Pacific Ocean Blue is still one of my favorite tunes. Yeah. It's, it's great. You know, it's so, so soulful. Um, so I, I wasn't totally that I know, I knew that he was doing some recording because all the boys were sort of like doing sure. their own, you know, each of them, Carl was at his own album and, or a single and, uh, I think it was an album. Uh, and so it, it came time for them to, uh, to start. They had done the basic tracks and they wanted some horn arrangements right. and everything. So I started doing the horn arrangements. Um, and I think maybe Gary did the string arrangements on it. I can't remember. Uh, but what happened was after we finished, the, uh, we finished the album and I still have an original cassette, wow. the first version of it. Uh, that was just, you know, it's just typed on, you know, the, the title of the title of it. And um, we're talking to Dennis and he says, yeah, well, we got to put together a band now, you know. And so right. I said, sure. And so he sort of put me in charge of putting together the band. And it was, again, it was a bunch of the guys like Bobby and, and sure. some of the horn players that uh, were playing with the Beach Boys and a couple of other musicians, Phil Chanel and I'm trying to remember who else was it, it was. I think Carly was playing. Um, and so we started rehearsing and for this tour. And uh, so by that time, I'm going beyond your, the answer to your question. Oh, sure. When was I first, you know, when did I first know Dennis was doing this solo project? It really wasn't until, you know, it wasn't fully realized until he started talking about the tunes and uh, said he wanted me to listen to some of them. Well, there's a lot of songs I can tell that have, have horn aspects or the that section in the songs there's one that speaks up to mind that i had briefly mentioned to you before we got going here um that uh giant depp was covering with jeff beck which is time and there's a part in the song where it gets really rock and roll but you can hear the the horns rocking and rolling in that for you that and i talked to john stebbins this guy who's this musical historian for the beach boys and other rock music in general and he sort of talked about how he would have liked to have seen that that music that Dennis was creating be the next transition that the Beach Boys were taking. Um, for you, hearing that music, were you hopeful that that was what's going to happen with the Beach Boys, or were just what Dennis would be able to go on to do? Hmm. Good question. I uh, 
you know, at, at that point, the way songs would be added to the to the list would be that I guess each of each of them, like like, um, uh, you know, uh, one of them would write a song and, and you know bring it in, and we'd all rehearse it and say, and if they liked it, they'd put it into the set. Sure. So it was, it wasn't like a, a conscious, hey, we're going to go in this direction. I think Dennis wanted to go in his own direction. Sure. I don't think he was thinking of. I'm going to bring the Beach Boys in this direction. It's just Dennis was going to sure. go in this direction. I, w I would think if things had stayed together, if the band had, at that point, if Dennis had, you know, Dennis had a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, and it was too bad because Dennis, you know, like I think all people have their greater selves and their sure. lesser selves, you know, and Dennis's greater self was pretty amazing and very generous and magnanimous. And I can tell you just wonderful stories with him. His lesser self, uh, which, you know, was very self-destructive and very destructive of everything around him. And it was, uh, it was, this was unfortunate, you know, sure. it's just, uh, he had, had that problem because the, it's, well, it's like Brian, you know, I mean, Brian had the problems that he had, yeah. but that was a little different, <laughs> a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot different actually. So, yeah. Well, and it's it's unfortunate because you see what Brian has been able to achieve the last, you know, nearly 30 years, you know, after Carl had died and the tough situation as that is. And you see the, the acclaim, you know, smile comes out and he wins the Grammy for that. And he's just doing it successful. And then you see, and I don't want to get too morbid or, or sad about this. Um, what Dennis achieved with his album, how, you know, at the time it was, you know, successful and people liked it and to see that transition to what might've had happened with that would have been interesting to see because it's such a, a powerful album. And I've been listening to it a lot lately. And I, I, that was one of the very first albums I bought in my record collection that I have for a small collection because I had read about it and growing up. And I have said this to other people in the beach boys world that I have on the first three songs I heard of the beach boys was uh, Kokomo. And it was um, uh, Barbara and both, you know, when the Beach Boys were on the Full House uh, skit with uh, John Stamos in the yeah. 80s. And then it was Forever, Dennis's song. And at the time I, I heard it, I was, you know, in elementary school, middle school when the reruns were on. So I didn't put any thought to it. And then as I got into college before I graduated, I really got into the music, some of the gem type of rough edit or rough songs of, of the material. And then when I find Pacific Ocean Blue, it's like, my gosh, what, what, what this was able to be done and then to see what happened to it in the early 2000s to really get more of that acclaim is is a beautiful thing. So I'm, I'm sure in your situation, to be part of that for that brief moment that it was, was a, a special moment and gratifying for you. Yeah, yeah, it was. You know, I don't know if you know the story about Dennis's tour that never happened, you know, but I'm sorry, am I getting off? Uh, I, I, I'm really sorry. I had a real distraction just come on my phone. Oh, no and, worries. And I lost track of where I was. I'm sorry, am, am I, I'm sorry, Nolan. So, um, you were, were you asking me, uh, ask that question again. I'm really no, no, I, I, was, I was just saying how much of a fan I, I really got into the group well, I was in college before I graduated recently. I know, um, yeah. And how Pacific Ocean Blue is just a powerful album. And um, for you to be in that moment, and you've already said, so maybe a redundant question, a self-gratifying one after completing the album. Okay, yeah. I'm, I, again, I apologize. Oh, no worries. Um, yeah. 
So, yeah, when the album was all done and I heard, you know, we came in, we had a mix and we listened to it and I, I, it was very satisfying. You know, I thought it was, this is really an excellent album. Really is great for Dennis. So, uh, yeah, it was. I, I, doing upon my research and, and thanks to Discog's website to show some of the work that you've been a part of and reading about you online in the available areas, um, you worked with Brian a little bit um, after in the 80s. Is that correct? Or am I, did I read? Was that false yeah. reading? Yeah, it was in the 80s. Yeah. You, Early you, 80s. Wor you worked with Den uh Was that for his solo project of his first solo album? Uh no, actually, there were a couple. There were a couple of things that that I worked with Brian on uh, after the way I worked with the horn section. The horn section, that horn section, was with the Beach Boys for about two or three years, and then uh, they started cutting back on uh, on the band. It was no longer seventeen pieces. Sure. It was getting more back to the regular size band. And what they would do is they would when they would do a big venue, they would fly me out to the venue. I would put together a horn section okay. and. They would do the big venues with the horn section. So um, I, I, I would during that whole period, I would also be working with them on their individual projects. So Brian was doing a lot of stuff uh, with Andy, and uh, and we would do uh, a bunch of sessions with those. On Brian's solo album, I don't think I did anything on that. I'm trying to remember. Oh yeah, maybe on. Oh, that's right. There was one session we did in Hollywood that I might, I may be on. Sure. Yeah. For in uh, the net, if if you weren't there, I'll ask this: working on those solo projects with him at that time. What was that like? Because you had mentioned uh, of, and people know who those were. Fans know of uh, of how what type of player he was in his state in the seventies, the Brian's back tour, and all all that stuff. But did you still see the genius in him that he had when you were working with him? Yeah, I'll tell you a great story. So one of these, you know, I, I would just get a phone call and say, Brian's recording, you know, be, you know, either I would show up just to play some solo sax or something or, or else bring a horn section. There was even one time where they called and said, Brian's recording in Santa Barbara and you need to be up there like really fast. In LA, it, it could be like a two hour drive, you know, sure. they said, he said, oh, no, we'll just have a plane waiting for you at San Juan. <laughs> so we went and flew up to Santa Barbara and did the session with Brian. So, uh, yeah, there were there were times when when um, these sessions, actually, the sessions were great. Uh, there was and, and you're talking about Brian's ability to put stuff together. One of these sessions I showed up with and they asked me to bring a horn section and and Brian at this point, I think, I don't know, I think he, yeah, or just when he was first with Melissa uh, and was really sort of coming out of it. And we show up for the session and he's sort of scribbled out horn parts, really simple parts, but he had written them out, you know. We go to play them and we run through and the trumpet player at the time, you know, we get to the last note and he thinks he's gonna play this other note that he thinks sounds hipper in the chord, you know. And Brian, who's like just being Brian, sort of, you know, being Brian, turns around and says, there's no sixth in that chord. It just, <laughs> and the trumpet player was like sort of a jazz background was just like taken behind a back by Brian. Here's one of the things that I think about Brian. I've always thought about Brian. 
you know, when things got too emotional for him, and Brian is very, a very feeling person, when it became too much, he would just shut down. Sure. And I think that's what a lot of it was. He would just turn it off because he couldn't deal with it. Sure. And when he felt comfortable, it would just, you would see, what it, but it was always there. You know, Brian was, I'll tell you a story that is one of my favorite Brian Wilson stories, which I know you're not asking, but I'm going to tell it anyhow. No, go for it. So God only knows, you know, like, probably one of the greatest songs yeah. ever written, you know. And, and one day I was driving Brian home for something, from one of Andy Paley's things, and he needed to ride home. So I'm driving him. And I said, Brian, you have to, I have to just ask this question, you know, God only knows, how did that song, how long did it take you to write? Where did it come from? And he sits there and says, well, you know, he says, you know, Michael, I wrote that song in 15 minutes. It came to me complete. <laughs> just like, he said, I just sat down and the words, everything was there. So, you know, when you have that sort of connection to whatever manifest creativity yeah. is, it's, it's just there, you know, it's, he's, he's a, he's a weird guy. He's, I don't want to say weird guy. He's an interesting man. You know, uh, when I've seen him twice or I, this, I'll be seeing him this summer in Massachusetts at the Xfinity center with my father for the second time with him. And I've just shared with him and he is taken away. I'm still taken away that he, not, not just Carl being in the band as a freshman in high school, but not his voice saying the same for the 30 plus years he was with them. But for Brian to write a song like surfer girl at 19 in his card with no musical instruments, paper, anything, whole whole song, and then to see in the new documentary he, he, about him, Long Promise Road, at his age, eight, he'll be 80 next week, I believe, to still have all of this music completely formulated and completed in his head, and then to see him tell musicians, and the musicians don't don't know what he's talking about, and he just pretends to make the sound of an instrument in his out of his mouth, and they're like, oh, okay, and then it sounds unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, he's, it's an amazing gift, you know, yeah. when you're sitting around somebody like that, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work with a couple of musicians who are gifted like that. And when you sit with them, you just go and you just have to appreciate, you know, uh, the depth of sure. what they've got. And Brian's that way, you know, it, it's what comes, instead of it coming out in words and facial gestures and everything sure. with Brian, it comes out in his music and he hears it, he does hear it. There's a couple of great documentaries or he's sitting there with Hal Blaine, or he'll be sitting yeah. there with one of the musicians doing exactly what you said. He'll be saying, you know, I, he heard it, you know, and then it was just him trying to get the musician to understand it. Sure. And then once they do it, when you got a great drummer like Hal Blaine, you know, it's just like, okay. Yeah. And it's, and it's, yeah. Yeah. That, that whole, gotcha. I, I could go on and on with yeah. Brian, but yeah, he's, he's always interesting to work with. Yeah. Now you, you besides the Beach Boys, you've you've done other stuff as well. You mentioned the Warner Brothers and teaching, and then you also were on a little a, a little show. Some may know of it, uh, Married with Children, working with that, and some just maybe a few episodes, like a hundred or so, whatever it said on IMDb. At, at the time with the Beach Boys, though, at, at that period, were you was it just the Beach Boys stuff, or were we working other stuff for for other people or groups? Yeah, no, it was that was actually at that point it was just. Beach Boys. Mostly, I was doing some arranging for other people's albums and stuff, but it was it was ninety percent of it was and a, a couple of small documentary projects. Sure, but mostly it was just Beach Boys. 
when you, I mean, it's, it's one thing to have musical talent like, like yours or to play with the Beach Boys, but it's also another thing to have success outside the Beach Boys and on television and the other projects you've dealt with. How, how much of a, of a, I don't want to say self-reassurance again, but a, a moment where you look back and you're proud of what you've done because you accomplished a, a lot of stuff post Beach Boys as well. Yeah, um, Yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll look back or sometimes I'll listen to some music that I've written and a couple just recently I found a piece I don't even remember writing, but I know that I did, you know. Uh, I, I've been really fortunate, you know, I mean, I really have been fortunate in a lot of ways. Uh, after the Beach Boys, when mostly I was playing and arranging, I became more of a, an arranger and a writer and then sure. got very lucky with married with children and became their composer for seven seasons or eight seasons. Um, that was an interesting, that's a whole different, you know, <laughs> different story. But um, looking back on it, I, I just feel I've been very uh, fortunate. I don't, I don't think I'm really a whole lot more talented than a lot of people I know. <laughs> I think, you know, one of the, one of the things I heard people say, which I, was really great, it says success is a combination, is just, uh, is getting lucky and yeah. then being ready when luck comes. Sure. So it's like, you know, it's, it's when I finally get in touch with, with Carl, you know, and, yeah. and get the Beach Boys again. Very lucky. I mean, I did pursue it and everything. Uh, Married with Children sort of fell into my, you know, they, they were looking for a composer and they were looking at three or four composers and uh, asked a friend of mine if they knew a young, at that point I was much younger, if I, they knew some young composers and they recommended me and I, did one of the episodes and ended up getting it. And uh, I, was, I was sort of ready for it and then sure. not ready. You sort of learn as you go. There's been a lot of times I've gone to things going, oh, am I going to be able to get through this? And then sure. doing it, you know. Um, having done everything with the Beach Boys, sent up everything afterwards. I mean, sure. towards the end of the Beach Boys, there was a record company that was put together by Mike, Charles Lloyd, and Ron Altbach. Uh -huh. keyboard player and uh they did a bunch of albums one of the albums was uh, ron was a very good classically trained keyboard player and he toured with the boys too yeah and so we did an album of all beach boy songs featuring ron on piano it was orchestral uh -huh. yeah it was no no vocals at all orchestral and so i had to write for a 65 piece orchestra and write uh -huh. a whole album for a 65 piece orchestra and once you've done that you know you just like go Oh, I can do that. You sure. know, now you know you can do it. Sometimes I look back and go, how did I do that? Yeah. You know? There's one story I wanted before, before we, I don't know how much more you, you want to go into, but one more thing about Dennis since sure. we're talking about Dennis. Yeah. You know, there was supposed to be a tour and we had rehearsed the band and the band was fantastic and it sounded great. And they had started talking about tour dates and everything. And Dennis decided he wanted he wouldn't go out on tour unless he could have a string section because wow. he thought strings were really important in a specific Ocean Blue album. And the record company came back to him and said, we can't afford a string section because it's expensive. You know, yeah. even if it, it's a small string section, you know, eight or six, you know, it's still you want it to sound like a section and uh, can't do it. And I'm talking to Dennis. And I'm saying, Dennis, you know, we can hire strings in every city we go into. We just have a rehearsal and bring in the string section, you know. Sure. No, he wanted to have his own string section. It became such a bone of contention. The whole tour fell apart. Wow. And that's why Dennis never toured. Wow. 
Now, there's part of me that thinks maybe it was too much responsibility. You know, he was understanding that this is all, when you're out with the Beach Boys, it's, you've got your, your family and you've got with you and it's all your responsibility to get yeah. out there. Suddenly it was all on Dennis's shoulders. And that was a difficult time in his life. He was sure. going through a lot. I think that's why the tour never happened. And if it had happened, one of two things would have happened. Dennis would have probably had a breakdown earlier <laughs> than, you know, afterwards. Or he, or he would have, the success would have maybe helped him get. Sure. That's all conjecture at this point. Sure. And it would have, it, it's a big what if, because you can never, you can see what Brian did. And as I mentioned, see the success he's had on his solo career and say, well, that might've happened with Dennis, but you know, you never know. On another note, and before we end today, I want to thank you again for taking the time to do this. I want to end on a little segment, a game I have called the one word challenge. So what I in this segment is I'll throw out a few names, places, people, or things that have something to do with my guest this week being Michael. He has to do his best to say a word or two that comes to mind when he hears it. So are you ready, Michael? One word? Yeah, one, word one word One word or two, whatever comes to your mind. I am, I am a terrible at games like this. I, okay, I'm not one of those really fast responders, but go ahead. Let's go. Uh, first, first one, Los Angeles. Complex. Uh, Duquesne University. Really nice. That's two words. Uh, Charles Lloyd. Great. Dennis Wilson. Also complex. Uh, television composition. A different world. Three. Uh, music. Everything. And then last but never least, Michael Andres. Still here. Two <laughs> words. <laughs> well... Michael, this has been fun. This has been a, a great time for me to to listen and ask you questions and sort of get your viewpoint and how everything goes back then. Because if no one can tell them they're they're blind and 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 deaf, not to sound rude, but I wasn't alive back then. I I'm only a, a young kid, so to to hear the stuff from the great period of of music and the Beach Boys was, was a true treat for me. I know. I remember when I was younger and I would listen to music from before I was born sure. and think, wow, it's so cool. But that was so long ago. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and you know what? It was long ago. So having somebody as young as you are, you know, have this sort of interest in it is, is fantastic. It just reflects to what a, what a heady time in music was. And then you've got the pictures yeah. through the Beatles behind you there. And, you know, you, it's just it was a very special time. I, sure. mean, I feel very fortunate to have been around at that time. And I hope, you know, your generation and my daughter's generation all get to find it. You know, I don't know if we're ever going to have another music generation that changes the world sure. like the Beatles and the Beach Boys did. But there will be other things that change the yeah. world. And I, I want to, I'm looking forward to, hope I'm around to see <laughs> that next revolution. Well, I'll tell you this before we end here. Um, and for those who enjoy it, like, subscribe, share, comment, all that fun jazz stuff going on. Because years from now, when that new musical generation comes You'll say, holy crap, that episode with Michael Andres from the Beach Boys and many other acts and stuff was amazing. But I'll say this, not all the music I play in my car on my Spotify account, most of it, unless it's a great group like Brian or Beach Boys or someone else, put something in the 90s, nothing's past 1985 or 1980 in my phone or played in my car. So the music has a, 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 tight, a close spot to my heart. I saw Sammy uh, Hagar last night at the Xfinity Center. So older music. It is my type of jam. Um, again, thank you so much. If you enjoyed this, please check it out later on whenever this drops. And in the words of Johnny Carson, I bid you a heartfelt good night. We'll see each other again for another episode. Take care.